First reading is taken from Acts in the New Testament section of the Bible. It can be found on page 1093. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel you'll find on page 1082 in the Church Bibles. It comes from John chapter 14, beginning at verse 8. Alleluia, alleluia. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people and kindle in them the fire of your love. Alleluia. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Philip said to Jesus, Lord Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, 
Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So, loving God, we do thank you uh, for the gift of the story of you which we find in Scripture. And we ask uh, that we are all, uh, young and old, filled by your spirit as we listen to that story. We ask for your blessing upon us as we remain here or go to our groups. We thank you that we can all receive from you and live in the light of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if we could actually see God? Wouldn't it be so much easier to follow God with courage and conviction if we'd actually seen for ourselves what God is like? Have you ever thought that? It must have been so much easier for the disciples, right? Imagine being there when Jesus was around. Imagine seeing Jesus perform miracles and hearing him speak. Imagine being able to ask him all the questions you have that no one else can answer. And imagine just having Jesus alongside you as a friend to pick you up when you fall, to hold your hand, to reassure you. Wouldn't life be so much easier if we could see God in the flesh? It's tempting to think that way. But actually, it's wrong, for a number of reasons. First, the evidence shows that it wasn't any easier for the people who knew Jesus to understand or believe. They struggled in just the same way that we do. Show us the Father, said Philip in our Gospel reading. In other words, this would be so much easier if we could actually see God in the flesh, he says as he looks at Jesus. Philip is literally staring at God in the face and asking to see God in the flesh. And Philip's not the only one. 
Elsewhere, we're told that the place Jesus' ministry was least successful was in his hometown, where people knew him. Don't forget, to them, Jesus was just Joseph the carpenter's son. They'd seen him grow up like any other child. How could they see him as someone special when they, of all people, knew just how ordinary his life had been? Far from making it easier, knowing Jesus well actually made it harder for people to believe in him. By contrast, take the story of the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion had never met Jesus. He'd only heard reports of the things Jesus had done. But he had enough faith to believe that Jesus could heal his servant even from far away. Despite his social status as part of the ruling elite, he didn't count himself worthy even to be in the presence of Jesus. But his faith in Jesus was strong enough that his servant was healed. And look at the disciples. If being with Jesus, witnessing his miracles and teaching, made it easier to trust and believe in him, why did they all flee when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? Why did Judas betray him? Why did Peter deny him? Why did Thomas doubt? One thing to remember is that being so close to Jesus made it harder for them to see the bigger picture. We have the benefit of hindsight. We know how the story ends. We have the testimonies of witnesses to the events that happened. We can see from the evidence who Jesus is. We can see God's plan at work. But when Jesus was arrested, put on trial and sentenced to death, the disciples didn't know what was going to happen next. They still hadn't fully grasped who Jesus was. They hadn't fully grasped God's plan. One detail that always fascinates me is at the end of Matthew's Gospel. After Jesus had died on the cross, some women went to the tomb and discovered it empty. They saw Jesus alive. Jesus told them to tell the other disciples to meet him on a mountain in Galilee. The disciples went and saw Jesus there. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But, Matthew tells us, some doubted. Even though they could see the risen Jesus with their own eyes, some still doubted. So all the evidence suggests that seeing Jesus with our own eyes wouldn't necessarily make it any easier to believe. The second point is that just because we can't see Jesus doesn't mean God isn't with us. As he was preparing his disciples for the fact that he would not be with them much longer, Jesus promised that the Father would send the Holy Spirit to be with them instead. The word Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit is interesting. In our Bibles, it's translated as advocate. That's a term you'd expect to hear in a court of law. And it conveys the sense of the Holy Spirit being one who stands alongside us to represent us and plead our case. We will be justified and God will hear our plea, our side of the story, because the Holy Spirit will speak for us. The word that is actually used in John's Gospel to describe the Holy Spirit is paraclete. It does mean advocate, but it means its meaning is slightly richer than that. Perhaps a more literal translation would be one called to be alongside. 
It's also sometimes translated as helper or comforter, both of which help to convey some sense of what it means. Certainly the Holy Spirit helps and equips people to do the things God is calling them to do. But I also like the idea of the Holy Spirit as a comforter. When we're in pain or distress, how might someone comfort us? Sometimes words can be a comfort. But more often than not, just being there is a comfort. Having someone alongside you, knowing that they are thinking of you, can make such a difference. Perhaps they might hold your hand or offer a hug. I always think a hug can be an incredibly powerful thing. Imagine the Holy Spirit as a hugger, that arm around you, providing strength and comfort. Jesus promised the disciples that although he would be going away, the Father would send the Holy Spirit to be with his disciples forever. The Holy Spirit would be with them and in them. And that promise is for us as well. Going back to the disciples, you'll notice that it was not really being with Jesus that enabled them to do the extraordinary things. Sure, the disciples did some extraordinary things when Jesus was around, but mostly they just watched what Jesus did. Even after the resurrection, the disciples did not immediately go out and start performing miracles and proclaiming the good news. It was not until they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that the disciples really began their work. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that the church formed and grew, and more people came to know God. In fact, it was always that way. The Holy Spirit appears in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only received by particular people, at a particular time, for a particular purpose. Once that purpose had been fulfilled, the Holy Spirit left the person. In the New Testament, Jesus himself received the Holy Spirit at his baptism. John baptised with water. But the Father anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus performed his works, not in his own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus was able to promise his disciples that anyone who believes in him will do the works that he had done. In fact, Jesus promises they will do even greater works than Jesus. So in fact, far from being easier when Jesus was with them, it was actually easier for the disciples once Jesus had gone away. Having torn down the barriers between God and humanity by his death and resurrection, Jesus was able to send the Holy Spirit to be with the disciples forever, giving them the power to do all that Jesus had done and more. Meanwhile, Jesus went back to the Father to intercede on their behalf. Jesus promised that the disciples could ask for anything in his name, and he would do it. It's easy to think that these promises belong to a long time ago. But Jesus was not just making these promises to the disciples that were there in his presence then. Jesus made these promises to all his disciples, for all time. We too can receive the Holy Spirit to be our advocate, our helper, our comforter. We too can ask Jesus for anything in his name and he will do it. What? Anything? Really? Simple as that? Well, the key words in the promise are in his name. 
That doesn't just mean tacking the name of Jesus onto the end of every prayer that you utter, no matter how frivolous or selfish. A person's name is more than just a word. It's a symbol of who they are. As we get to know Jesus, we become drawn to his love and his purpose. And as we apply that to our own lives and circumstances, we begin to see what needs to be done to build God's kingdom. And so we pray for help in Jesus' name. It can be a long journey to get to that point. But when we get there, we shouldn't lose sight of the power of Jesus' promise. If we ask in his name, we really can ask for anything. And he will do it. But getting to that point means knowing God and understanding God's purposes. Which brings us back to where we started. Wouldn't it be easier if we'd actually met Jesus? Surely the disciples had a head start because they knew Jesus and they'd spent time with him. Even if it was Jesus going away that really gave them the power to start their kingdom building, surely it was getting to know Jesus that laid the foundations. Well, certainly it was important to know Jesus. But the early church quickly spread to people who had never met Jesus. They heard stories from the disciples, the people who knew Jesus, and had become witnesses to all he had done. And they saw the Holy Spirit at work in the disciples of Jesus. And through that, they came to know God, and became disciples, and received the Holy Spirit themselves. And so the church spread. Do you not know Jesus? If you come here often, we talk about him every week. You've heard the stories from the people who knew Jesus and were witnesses to all that he did. And I'm sure you've seen the Holy Spirit at work in those that follow Jesus. The very fact that you're here on a Sunday morning when you could have had an extra hour in bed suggests that someone or something has called you to be in this place. The question is not, have you had the opportunity to get to know Jesus? The question is, how do you respond?